Well, good morning. Wonderful to see your faces here this beautiful morning. Wonderful to have you, those of you who are online with us this morning joining us. Thank you for, for being here and worshiping with us today. You know, oftentimes we, we, tend, to, uh, we tend to think in terms of, of the community that, that we live within and the experiences that, that we have as individuals. And we, we, we don't oftentimes see and, and think about the, the, the lives of people around the world who live very differently than we do. We, we hear of, of, of things that like what's going on in, in, in Gaza and in Israel. We, we consider uh, countries in, in various places around the world and tribes in remote locations and, and, and their experience and their, their um, uh, reception of the gospel is sometimes that, that we just don't, doesn't cross our mind on, on a given day. Um, how the gospel is going forth in those various locations and, and the, the lives that are changed sometimes just doesn't seem real to us. And oftentimes we, we see the, uh, the news and we just kind of lump everybody in, in one category. And uh, every once in a while it's good for us to just consider, uh, you know, the churches like the Colossians. You know, Paul, the, the church of Colossae was, was a church that, that Paul had never met before. And yet when he writes this letter, he's able to rejoice because of what, what God was doing in this wonderful this wonderful church that, that had heard the gospel and responded to it. I'd like to read this morning to you a, a little bit of an extended story. Uh, it's the, the testimony of a, a man named Abam, Abam Usman uh, from Kenya. This was published in Christianity Today on December 11th of last year. Uh, Abam, with the help of his uh, missionary friend, said, I, I grew up a Muslim, in a Muslim family on the coast of Kenya. My father served as an imam. And I was one of the Muzines. I didn't pronounce that right. I had it yesterday. But the Muslims who, who call on others to, pay, to pray five times a day. Muzines. At a local mosque. The only school I ever attended existed to educate young men in the ways of Islam and to help them grow as Muslims. I was being trained to defend the Muslim faith and to share it with others. As a young boy, I became one of the best and most well-known evangelists for Islam in my region. Early in my life, my father had taught me to hate Christians and even to beat them if necessary. I was trained to believe that Christians were on the same level as animals. We were not allowed to associate with them in any way. In 2009, my life was forever changed. The day started out just like any other. I woke up and went to the local mosque to start calling people to pray. I was, I was set to recite the, the, uh, the Adan into the microphone so that my call would, could be heard throughout the city. But when I tried to speak, Nothing came out. Uh, leaving the mosque, I saw my friend Ali in the street and I tried to explain what had happened, but he wouldn't believe me. We went back to the mosque where I stepped up to the microphone and attempted to call the Adan once, once more. But again, my, my voice would not come out. Ali was as surprised as I was. We were both nervous, but he took over my duties and I went home. When I got there, I tried to relax and calm my mind. My heart was heavy and I felt troubled. I went to my kitchen, I grabbed a thermos and started to make a hot tea. And I poured the tea into the mug and I was about to start drinking it when the tea had turned red, a dark red, it looked like blood. I, so I left the tea on the counter and I took a walk, hoping to clear my mind after a day of seemingly crazy events. And during my walk, I came to a marketplace where a large crowd had gathered around the back of a pickup truck. I mean, of all places, right? The back of a pickup truck. Getting close enough to hear and see what was going on, I listened as a, a Christian missionary was preaching. And he was clearly Kenyan, 
just like me, not someone who had come here from the Western world. I was skeptical and I kept my distance, but I listened to what he was saying. After the man had finished preaching, I felt compelled to approach him. He shared the Gospel with me, and right then and there, I saw everything that had happened during that day in a a new light. I knew that God was the one who wouldn't let my voice come out. He was the one who turned my my tea to a color of blood red as a symbol of Christ's blood perhaps spilled out on the cross for me. The Holy Spirit changed my heart and I gave my life to Jesus. The missionary told me to go to my family and tell them what happened. And I did as he requested, even though I knew my father would not like it. Sure enough, he saw my conversion as an abandonment of Islam and an act of personal betrayal. He ordered me to get out of the house right away and I wasn't even allowed a moment to gather my belongings. That night, afraid for his life, I said I ran away, staying outside on a park bench. It was a cold night and I considered returning to my father and apologizing, but as I prayed, I found new strength in Jesus Christ. And the next day I, I went out and I started sharing my testimony explaining what Jesus had done for me and how others could receive Him as well. I found the missionary who shared the Gospel with me. But soon we heard that my father had sent people out looking for me. People who would kill me if they found me. And so that night around 3 a.m., the group of missionaries escorted me out of my hometown. They brought me to a city eight hours away. A longtime member of a local church took an interest in me and started to disciple me. Another member even allowed me to stay in his home since I I had no place to live. The more I got settled in this strange new place, the more I felt felt a call to ministry. I started sharing the Gospel to lost people in the area, gathering a group of about ten people in the area to disciple as I had been discipled. And so I started traveling around and visiting different churches and congregations where I had the opportunity to preach, teach, and share the story of my conversion. Yet danger kept stalking me. After visiting one church in the region for five days, preaching and sharing the Gospel, I learned that some men had come there looking for me. They had been sent by my parents in the mosque where I grew up. An announcement had gone out that I was wanted, dead or alive. Over the years, I've continued to travel and visit different churches under the support of the National Missionary Organization that aided me at the time of my conversion. In April 2017, I took a new step of boldness. I journeyed to a city close to the border of Somalia where the population consists most of Somalis who were members of my own ethnic group. I ventured there to do what God had put in my heart so many years ago, sharing Christ with Muslims in my homeland. We had we'd planned about a four-day trip, and on the first day I started to preach and share the Gospel. A crowd gathered, and as I, as I continued evangelizing, the crowd became angry, and a few people complained to the police that I was causing trouble. And so the police arrested me and took me to jail. I was punched and kicked by other cellmates and by the corrupt police officers, but I continued to share Christ. And ten Somalis came to know Jesus as Lord in jail. On the fourth day, I was released, and I walked straight from the jail to the market where I preached the Gospel. Seven Muslims prayed to receive Christ that day. In the Gospels, Jesus tells the crowds that anyone who would follow Him must be prepared to leave everything behind for the sake of carrying a cross. Since becoming a Christian, I've had many occasions to count the cost of discipleship. And on top of having to flee from my home and family, I was forced to part ways with the Muslim woman I was set to marry, though God later saw fit to provide me a wife at one of the churches I visited. On several occasions, people from the cities I've evangelized have shown up at my home in the middle of the night to threaten me and my family. I've been beaten by crowds five different times. And yet, when I think of even the worst suffering, of all the slaps, the punches, and kicks I've endured, 
I still count it all joy. I'll gladly surrender everything for the cause of Christ and to reach my Muslim brothers who are blind. This is a story of a, a man who loves Jesus. He's a person like you and me, living in a country that most of us have never visited. But God is at work in the lives of people around this world. He's in the, the work in the, lives of the, in the life of the church worldwide. And you know, I, I was asking myself, why is it we celebrate stories like Aban's? Why do we celebrate something like this? I, I, if you're like me, your heart was moved as you heard Aban's story and what he's endured. But you know, some of your friends and neighbors would look at you and think that you are cruel. They would think you cruel because Aban's faith will likely lead to his death, to the death of his family, or some of the many who, who believe the message that he proclaims. And right now, the, the church is growing faster in Muslim nations, faster than anywhere else in the world. And millions who once followed Islam are now following Jesus. And yet, the life expectancy for Christians in many of these Muslim nations is, is counted and, and reckoned in months and years rather than in decades. And so your neighbors might ask, wouldn't it just be better? Wouldn't it just be better for, to let them enjoy their lives with their families and their community? Why, why cause such division between uh, Abon and, his, and his, his, his father? Why preach to them a message that's just going to divide them? Why create more conflict by preaching Jesus? Some of your friends would tell you that we're, we're all going to the same place. They would, they would tell you and try to convince you that there are many ways to heaven as long as you're just a pretty decent person. And so, so they'll criticize you for telling others about Jesus. Why would you do that? You're just making things worse. The world thinks that you are unloving for believing in hell. They would tell you that you are unloving for believing that Jesus is the only way. But this is not the problem that we're going to address this morning. Jesus already told you that the world is going to hate you, didn't he? That's something we're, we're called to expect. They said, he said, the world hated me and they're going to hate you. The problem that we come to this morning is that many of us have started to believe that lie. And we may not proclaim that lie to others, but in our hearts we, we doubt and, and oftentimes believe that lie in just the way that we approach a person that needs Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be better to keep your faith to yourself? Wouldn't it be better to leave people alone? Wouldn't it be better to leave people like Aban so that he can follow Allah and not have to flee from his own family? Wouldn't it be better to leave my neighbors alone and just let them choose the way that is right in their own eyes? Is Jesus really all that different from all the other ways that are presented around the world? Does Jesus offer more than Muhammad or Buddha, Joseph Smith? Well, the book of Colossians addresses this very problem, and it's this magnificent, in this magnificent letter that God answers that question with a resounding, yes, Jesus is greater. And as Paul and Timothy start this letter, they begin with a note of thanks, which we're going to look at today in verses 3 to 8. It's a note of thanks to which God... Um, thanks to God in which they demonstrate to us that we preach a greater message. The message is greater because the gospel is a divine message. The message is greater because the gospel is the truth. And so let's begin by reading together 
the text of God's Word. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you're looking for it in your Bibles, you'll find um, it's in the, Old, in the New Testament. You're going to find Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, he writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God in truth. Just as the Lord, just as you, excuse me, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's go to, to our God in prayer before we examine the text. Father, we, we thank you for, for brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, like Aban, who have come to know your grace and they just want to share that message with the, those around them. They're compelled to share because they know the, the greatness of the message that we hold and the necessity of people hearing these words of life. Father, as we turn our attention to the text of Colossians, I just pray that you would open our eyes to those areas in our lives where, where we're not believing that truth. We're, we're, we're accepting the lie that, that this message is like any other message, and, and we're just going to offend people by, by preaching it. Let us, let us put that away. I pray that you would show us this morning how your message is greater and how Jesus is greater and the proclamation of, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ is essential. It's a must. And it should be something we're passionate about. Lord, please lead us to understand what you have for us here today. Amen. You know, one of my favorite aspects about the epistle to the Colossians is that this was a letter that was written to a church that, that Paul had never visited. As he states later on, he never met most of the people who were at, at part of this church. He, he knew their pastor, Epaphras, who was a, a guy like um, Ammon who heard the Gospel and he, he went to maybe his own people. It, it seems like the, the city of Colossae may have been his hometown or his home region. And he, he went and shared the Gospel there. And people responded to it and he became their pastor. Uh, we know that Paul knew uh, Onesimus and Philemon a slave and his master who lived in Colossae, but most of the people had never met Paul and Timothy. In most of his epistles, Paul begins with a note of, of thanksgiving to God. And that was a common way of, of writing letters. Uh, most letters in those days, you would have a, a greeting of some sort, and then you would thank your gods for something. It was just a kind of a customary way of, of appeasing the gods and trying to gain their favor. And so you'd offer thanks in these letters, and there was a common part of a a letter in the Roman Empire that would be sent from one person to another. But, but Paul takes that note of thanksgiving. And, and what was common in ancient letters, Paul, Paul uh, it stands out for its richness and its theology that's expressed in these statements of thanks. But with all these other letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Thessalonians, Romans, he, he had met most of these congregate, those congregations. Sorry, not Romans. He hadn't met them yet. But many of them were, were planted as a result of his ministry. Or, or many of those churches, um, they knew him as their pastor, and he had stayed there for a few months or a couple of years. But not so with the Colossians. 
And yet this letter, it begins with this outpouring of thanks to God for what he did in this church and for the report that comes back to Paul and Timothy's ears about the result of God's message in Colossae. And kind of like a church in Kenya that we've never met or seen or people that we know and have a completely different culture than you and I do. We rejoice when we hear these, these words of, of, of how God's message of the gospel transforms lives. And Paul responds that way when he hears about the Colossians. When we hear of God's work in people like Aban, our hearts should be filled with joy. We hear God's message being proclaimed in villages and countries sometimes we've never even heard of. Why is that, though? You know, before, before the church, there, there was little camaraderie between people, groups, of, and different cultures. Slaves and freemen weren't, weren't brothers. Jew and Gentile, Scythians, barbarians, Romans, they, they kept to themselves and, and usually only mixed when there was some kind of benefit or profit. And it's the same way around the world today. And we, we, we talk about unity. We hear it in the news. You see it on TV shows. Uh, what's, what's the phrase that everybody's been using this last year? We're all in it together. And we are, right? Just look around you. Everybody's in it together. No, come on. We, we want, the world wants to be in it together. The world wants to be one. They, they sing of being in one. But there's more division and strife today and people who distrust one another simply because the other person's different. You speak a different language than I do, I, and we suspect the person. You look different than I do, and so I suspect the person. I, I, and we, we naturally suspect people because they're different, and the world is divided, and strife is, is, is more, we see more of it today than we did have, have before. And yet the world says we we want this kind of unity. We want to be in it together. And so when we hear stories about someone like Aban, our hearts are knit to to his without having ever met him. And and I think of Aban, and I I think to myself, he's my brother. And we overflow with joy and thanks when we hear of God's work. When Paul and Timothy, what what led Paul and Timothy to note God's relationship with the Colossians he says that there were, there were three things that they heard of. There were three things that Paul heard of regarding the Colossians that just knit his heart to this community that he had never known. And they were as distant to Paul as, as Amon's family and friends in Kenya that have responded to the Gospel. Well, here in Colossians, Paul says there are three things that he heard of from the Colossians. Three items that resulted from the proclamation of God's message. It's a triad of three virtues that we oftentimes see together when we consider the divine message of the gospel. Faith, love, and hope. And so what are these? Let's, let's look at those. He describes the, the Colossians' faith. Faith is, is belief. It's believing something. It's, it's trusting something. It's putting your complete confidence in something. And again, this is something that the world talks about, don't they? Have you, have you ever heard the world just, you know, we just, we just need to believe. You need to have faith. Maybe you've been challenged by some of your unbelieving neighbors. You know, just, just have faith. I, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I went down to Davenport and was working with um, the Beshes at the chiropractic college. They had a whole bunch of students taking tests, and so we were, we were helping, helping them with that project. And, and I encountered a few people and was in some conversations. And, and people were talking, you know, we just got to believe. Just, just believe. It's a virtue that's admired by billions around the world. 
But, but understand that this divine gift to the Colossians is different from the faith that the world talks about. We, we may not disconnect faith from the, we, excuse me, we, we can't disconnect faith from the object to which it's attached. Uh, the world oftentimes believes in faith in what? Just believe in the goodness of man. You know, if we just realize how good we really all are, then boy, that'll, that'll fix things. Or just, just have faith in myself. Believe in yourself. That's a message that's popular. Or just have faith in faith itself. John MacArthur has summarized an old illustration given by Charles Spurgeon about the importance of faith's object by telling of two men in a boat. Caught in a severe, a severe rapids, they were, they were being swept toward a waterfall. Some men on shore tried to save them by throwing them a rope. And one man caught hold of it and he was pulled to safety onto the shore. And the other man, in, in panic, in the panic of the moment, he grabbed hold of a seemingly more substantial something that he could hold on to, a log. It was floating by. And that man was carried downstream over the rapids and he was never seen again. Faith, represented by the rope linked to the shore, connects us to Jesus Christ and safety. Good works, apart from true faith, represented in this story by the log, leads only to ruin. And, and when we talk about faith, the world is trying to grab onto something. They see the, the, the merits of faith. And so they, they, they talk about it, how this is a virtue that we should pursue. But sometimes it's just faith in, just for faith's sake. I just got to believe something. For some of it, it just, just means if I close my eyes and just really hope for it, then that's, that's what we're supposed to do. But our faith is in Jesus Christ, who died as our substitute. That is where our relationship with God begins. But that vertical relationship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ, if it is true faith, it's also going to manifest itself in another gift that results from the divine message of the Gospel. And that's love. James Dunn wrote, to be noted also is the degree to which the vertical faith in Christ was integrated with the horizontal love for the saints. Paul would never have wanted these two to fall apart. And here we find these two connected in verse 4. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And so why do Paul and Timothy give thanks for the Colossians whom they have never met in their life before? Because it was because the divine message of the gospel made its way to the people of this church. And these people responded in faith. They believed in the message about Jesus Christ and God transformed their lives. And then as a result of that divine message and the love that they were showing towards one another, word got out about the faith of the Colossians and the love that they demonstrated not only for their own congregation and not only for the people that, that were in their own households, but for the people all over the world and saints everywhere. But then in verse 5, he also mentions a third virtue that they heard about. And he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, I, I, I read that the first time. I thought, that's a really weird way for Paul to write that. It's a little different from what we see Paul normally, normally saying. Um, it's not how we normally think of, of hope. You see, the, the order here is, is a bit unusual. Usually we read the epistles uh, about the faith of God's people. And then 
that hope springs out of that faith. Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I now have a great hope for, for the eternity that I have before me. And if you consider these virtues logically and systematically, that's the case. Uh, hope comes from faith and is a result of that faith. But here in Colossians, the emphasis is different, and he switches that order around. Probably because of how the Gospel came to that church where, where Epaphras preached it to them. But here in this passage, it is hope that faith and love spring from rather than the other way around. And so as I was, I was pondering that this week, you know, why, does, why does Colossians change that, that word order? And then yesterday when I was down in Davenport, I was speaking to a couple individuals, and, and they were express, expressing their grief and rage and their, uh, over the, their, excuse me, they're expressing their grief over the rage and the violence of our day. They were expressing how you know, people are so divided and, and, and there's something wrong with this world. And one of the things that they mentioned, uh, one person in particular, is you know, we, just, we just need hope. We just need hope. And again, there was, it wasn't hope in anything in particular. It was just hope for something. We need something to hold on to. The world needs something that it can be sure of. But this is one of the practical appeals of the Gospel. And in Christ, hope for our eternity is extended. It is freely offered to those who believe in the Son who died in our place. And those who are in Christ have an inheritance laid up in heaven. We have eternal life with all of its present and future blessings. And most of all, Jesus Himself is our hope. How many millions have heard that message of hope? They've heard that message of what, what Christ has offered them and the eternity that follows this life. A, a hope of something that's beyond this world. And people hear that message of what, what Christ offers to us in the future. This message of grace and forgiveness, deliverance from the fires of hell and the gift of the glory of heaven. And it pulls to them and it tugs at their heart. And it pulls them to the shore through the solid anchor which is faith in Jesus Christ. And so in a very practical way, that hope extends and calls out to the world and oftentimes a person's faith happens as a result of them hearing the message of that hope. And that's what Paul presents here. And so very practically, faith and love do spring out of hope, which is also a result of that divine message of the Gospel. But also note that we preach a greater message, secondly, because this message is the truth. Now do you believe that? Do you believe that the Gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth? The truth. And I think most of us are here today because we, we believe that. But does your faith in that, do you, do you have, does it ever, does it ever wander? You're sharing with somebody and you're having a conversation and, and here's an opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ. You know they need to hear it. They, they need to hear this message and, and what is our mind to do? Maybe it's not that powerful. Maybe they wouldn't respond. Maybe, and our mind starts playing these games, doesn't it? Have you ever been there? You ever looked back and went, wow, what an opportunity I had to tell this person about Jesus Christ. I mean, I could have... Ah, but our, my mind played this game and I started making excuses. 
Note that we preach a greater message because this message is the truth. And we must embrace this. If all the other religions of the world were actually alternative ways, if, if they could actually, if people could encounter the hope of heaven through all these different religions of the world, then, then God's message of the gospel would just be one choice of many, and indeed, why would we want to bother them? However, if Jesus spoke honestly when he proclaimed the, that he was the way, and he proclaimed, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. If we believe that, and if Jesus spoke honestly about that, then how much do I have to hate someone? How much do I have to hate my neighbor if I am going to choose to refrain from sharing them with them the message of the good news that they need to hear to save them from eternal punishment? How much do I need to hate someone to hold back that message? Our passage continues in the second half of verse 5, and it speaks of this hope which he had just mentioned. He says, of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Because the message of the gospel is true, it bears fruit. It increases. And, and, and this is important because if it's true, then it should, it should have a result. And, and if I am to believe it's true, I can believe that, that God is going to do a, a great work. He's going, to, he's going to change lives. He's going to answer prayer. He's going to do things that, that are beyond my abilities. Yesterday, I was, I was sitting in a room. I was um, participating in this t test with this young lady. And the, the grader was in one corner of the room, and, and she was pushing on my back. And, and I knew that she did it wrong. Uh, she wasn't actually popping things. I, I, that would have been really scary. These are, you know, some of them had no idea what they were doing. Um, but uh, here was this young lady, and she did it wrong, and she picked the wrong spot on my back, and, and I knew it was wrong because all the other students had done it right, and she messed up. And so she, she went to the door, and she was ready to leave and just waiting for the, the bell to ring. And um, I felt a little bad for her. But, but something happened in that moment. I felt inclined that I needed to pray for this girl. I wasn't supposed to talk to her out loud because that would be interfering, but I, God said, you need to pray for her. And so I was like, okay. And, and, uh, and so I said, I just started praying. I said, Lord, I don't know this girl from Eve, but if she needs to get that question right, I, I pray that you would do something in her right now and help her to realize her mistake so that she can fix this. And, and she was waiting, and she had about 45 seconds before they were going to announce that it was time to go to the next room. And, and she sat there for 15 seconds just, just looking at her pad, biding time and watched her watch. And then all of a sudden, about 10, 15 seconds after I prayed, there was this look on her face. And she said, can I do that over again? And she turned, she fixed it, and she, she got it right, and she did what was right. And it was just a beautiful reminder to me that morning. It was something simple. It was just praying for somebody who needed something. And God answered that prayer. But it was a beautiful reminder to me yesterday that we serve a God that is powerful. And He cares about those small things in our lives like the answer on a test. And He answers those prayers. How much more does He care about the eternal destiny of your neighbor and the family of Adon living in Kenya? And people around the world who are in need of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes... We walk our way and we go the other way because 
in our minds we start playing these games and we start doubting. Does God really change lives? Does he really answer prayer? Is, is the, power of the message of the gospel truly that powerful? Is it that true? Is it that different from all the other messages in the world that all these other religions are proclaiming? And the answer that we find here is indeed, yes it is. Jesus is greater. And the message of the gospel is greater. And so we must share it. Because the message of the gospel is true, it bears fruit and it increases. And, and the kind of fruit that he's speaking of here, uh, note that the message of the gospel, it bears fruit, fruit not just by increasing in numbers. It does do that. We, we see people come to Christ and the church grows. But, but particularly that fruit comes by transforming lives. The power of the gospel is not calculated by adding numbers to church rosters, but true fruit is manifest as those who are followers of Jesus Christ find themselves to become new creations. They are transformed in the image of Jesus Christ and they look more like Jesus and therefore they look more like God. As the Gospels proclaim, the number of followers of Jesus Christ will increase, but the external growth is connected to the internal transformation of the heart and our being conformed to the image of Jesus. Then Paul closes out this statement of thanksgiving by expressing how he and Timothy heard about the truth being received by the Colossians. In verse 7, he he describes how Epaphras expressed God's work among them and, and then how the Holy Spirit stirred up the love that the Colossians were known for. Verse 7, he says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And Epaphras is mentioned a few times uh, in, in Colossians. I think he's mentioned two or three times. He's mentioned once in Philemon, which was a personal letter that was also sent to the, the city of Colossae uh, at the same time. And, and in these brief mentions, Epaphras is presented as a, a faithful evangelist and and minister of the gospel who seems to have been the individual who first took the gospel not only to the colossians but he also went to their sister cities of of hierapolis further down the valley and laodicea but here was a servant and a minister who got it here was a man who somewhere heard the gospel maybe from paul maybe from timothy maybe from you know he was visiting ephesus uh, Acts 19 tells us that, that the gospel came to Ephesus and the word of the Lord went out from there and it changed the entire region. And Epaphras likely was one of those people that was changed by the message. And maybe it was from that instance in Ephesus. But somewhere he heard the gospel and he came to know Christ and he knew that people of, the people of Colossus, they needed to hear that message. A message that was filled with life and grace and hope. A message of hope that leads people to faith in Jesus Christ and that fills them with the power to truly love their neighbor as themselves. To love their neighbor and their fellow man in the way that God intended them to. Not just with, catch, not just with well-intentioned catchphrases. Like we're in this all together. Which is great. But without the power of the gospel, there's no ability to carry that out and to live that out in your life. Not in the way that God intended for you. And here, he heard a message that was filled with life and grace and hope. He responded in faith. He told it to the Colossians. It was a message of hope that led the people to faith in Jesus Christ and it filled them with that power to truly love their neighbor. And Epaphras had received the truth and so he did what God had called what he's called each one of us to do. And he shared the truth with others. 
My friends, Jesus is greater. That's the message of Colossians. We're going to see that over and over and over again. Jesus is greater. And that changes your life. It should change the way that you live. Because this message of the Gospel is filled with life and hope, and because it is a greater message than any other so-called way, it is a message that we must proclaim. And so, as we apply this to our lives, there's a few few ways I, I see us living this out. Number one, rejoice. Rejoice when, when you hear of others receiving that message. When, when you get a, a, an email from, uh, from Renee Schneider. Is it you that sends a lot of those out? It has, it has your, your um, style on it. Uh, I, I never know if it's Ed or Renee. Uh, by the way, Ed and Renee are here. Welcome. Glad to have you this morning. So when you get that, that, that email from Renee of just praises, I, I love those take that opportunity to celebrate just like Paul does here to say thank you God thank you for a church like Colossae where somebody heard the message of the gospel and and respond because your God is worthy of that his message a message that is powerful enough to change lives has gone out into the world and, and and you hear of examples of a person being transformed by that message you serve a God that is worthy Jesus is greater and so therefore when you hear of those instances Take the time. Just pause. Don't go to the next email. Don't go to the next message. Don't keep on scrolling. Just stop for a minute and just say, God, thank you for this person and for saving them. It's appropriate for us to give God thanks, just like Paul and Timothy do here in this letter, in this letter to the Colossians. Secondly, I want to encourage you, don't be deceived by the lie. We, we live in a culture that, that tells us that there, there, there are many ways the, the people can, can, can find God in their own way and, and it's none of your business to, to upset their life by, by sharing a message that's just going to make things more difficult for them. And, and we start to believe that. Not, not, we, we don't announce that. You, you don't get up in the pulpit and say, say that. But by the way that that practically lives out in our lives, we, we do that. And that lie starts to eat at us. And we believe the lie that our culture tells us that, that they're okay already and I'm just going to offend them if I tell them about Jesus and their need for Him. I'm just going to offend them if I talk about hell. I'm going to offend them if I, if I tell them that they're a sinner. My friends, they have a few short years here on this earth. It may be days. It may be months. It may be a couple decades. But in light of eternity, that time is so brief. And they need to hear the message of the Gospel. Third, I'd encourage you, believe what we're told in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It's a great theme, introduction to the theme of Romans. And Paul proclaims, he says what? For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Why, why was he not ashamed of the Gospel? For... It is the power of God to salvation. Proclamation of the Gospel. I, I don't understand it. But there is a power in this message in which God takes this message and He uses it to transform lives around the world. Unlike any other message that you've ever heard or preached. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation. To the Jew first. And also to the Greek. God truly saves people and we have a message of life that they need to hear. 
And finally, you may be here today and you may hear that message of hope, that truth. And if you're here today and you haven't received that, that eternal life that He offers to you, that message of forgiveness and the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ, that freedom that comes with knowing that your eternity is secure and that hell is no longer yours or the wrath that, is, that, is, that is, it contains. That heaven is your eternal home and the new life that we have on a new earth with our Savior Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've heard that message of hope, don't leave here without responding in faith. Not just faith of of, you know, I'm just going to try to be a better person. Not just faith of, I'm going to believe in myself, but a faith in Jesus Christ in which your whole life and eternity rests on what He did for you on the cross is a message that transforms life and He calls to you, He offers to you hope and forgiveness, eternity. But it is only through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for you and gave Himself on the cross as your substitute. Don't leave here today without believing in Him. Well, I want the praise team to come back up front as we close our service. Let us rejoice this day in the great God that we serve, the power of the message that we are called to preach to the whole world. And let's give Him thanks right now. Father, we, we do come before You and we do give You thanks. We thank You for Thank you for Amon, this young man who came to know you just a few years ago, and today uh, he's preaching the gospel on the border of Somalia to, the, to his own people, to his own people in Kenya, and, and, and the, the gospel has gone forth. And you took a man who was a, a Muslim evangelist, and, and you've turned him into a, a missionary that is proclaiming the word of God to to his own people, at the threat of his own life. Father, you've taken each one of us here and, and you've called us to be your messengers. We are your ambassadors. As we saw this last few weeks, we are created in the image of Christ, in the image of God. And it is our, our call to reflect his magnificence. And as we look more like Jesus each day, as we are imitators of Jesus Christ, then that image is restored. And we have once again learned to represent you. Father, we rejoice in the salvation of those who have come to know you. We pray for those who still need you. We pray that this week that you would make us alert to the, to the, um, the people that are around us, the opportunities that you put in our path. And might we always remember the power of the message of the gospel, the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ saves people. And may we never forget it. May we never wander from that. May we not doubt that your message is greater.